0: Again, the URL is UnchainedCrypto.Substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the only multi-cloud, multi-geo platform for blockchain nodes. Spin up and manage your nodes today. Blockdaemon.com slash unconfirmed.
0: My guest today is Bill Barheight, founder and CEO of Abra. Welcome, Bill.
1: Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on.
0: You have some news this week, which involves Bitwise, which, full disclosure, was previously a sponsor of my podcasts. What was your news?
1: Sure. So, Abra has released what we believe is the world's first index token, which gives consumer retail investors access to the Bitwise index. In the form of a single token in the Abra app. So simply said, retail investors can invest in the top 10 cryptocurrencies by market cap as one investment inside the Abra app. And they get all the benefits of the Bitwise index, meaning they can get automatic rebalancing should, should tokens come in and out uh, of their index and all the other benefits of, of the index as, as it's defined today.
0: Bitwise's original index fund, the Whole10, was available only to accredited investors. How can the Bit10 be available to anyone in the world?
1: Yeah, so this is a unique property of how Abra works. So technically speaking, when you invest in the crypto assets in Abra, what you're actually getting are Bitcoin collateralized smart contracts. And what I mean by that is, is that if you're holding, let's say, dollars US dollars in the Abra app, what you're actually getting is a contingent of Bitcoin whose value is equal to that many dollars, along with a multi-sig script that adjusts the amount of Bitcoin you're holding to stay equal to that number of dollars. We've simply taken that technology and applied it to other asset types, including this index fund. So effectively, you're holding a collateralized Bitcoin contract whose value adjusts along with the value of the underlying index, in this case, the Bitwise 10.
0: What I find fascinating is that it functions like an ETF, and yet, obviously, it's not an ETF. How are the two different?
1: Sure. An ETF is a, is a regulated product where a third party is going out and effectively purchasing securities or assets on behalf of the uh, retail or institutional investor. And as such, they're they're regulated by the SEC, and they have all kinds of filings and uh, other disclosure requirements. In the case of Abra, the consumer is effectively acquiring their own Bitcoin equal to the value of the underlying asset that you're trying to give yourself investment exposure to. And Abra is simply the counterparty to that contract that makes the consumer whole if the value of the asset goes up or gets made whole if the value of the asset goes down.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And so then on the back end for Abra, are you holding these coins in order to maintain that?
1: Yeah, we are holding the coins, but not on behalf of the consumer. So the way this works is, is that everything settles in our system in Bitcoin, meaning that if you're holding dollars and the value of the dollar versus uh, Bitcoin goes goes up, you have to get more Bitcoin. And Abra actually sends that Bitcoin to the consumer via this multi-sig uh, wallet slash script that I mentioned earlier. And this, the index token works the same way. Now, Effectively, what that means in derivative markets is is that the consumer is taking a short position right, in Bitcoin versus whatever asset they're holding, and Abra is taking the long position. Now, that means that Abra is actually maintaining short exposure, meaning if the price of Bitcoin in dollars in that example were to fall, Abra could lose a lot of money making the consumer whole. We hedge away that counterparty risk effectively in real time.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. That's why we're holding those assets that you referred to earlier, not on behalf of the consumer, but simply as a hedge against market movements, because ethically, we want to be able to tell the consumer, hey, regardless of how the market moves, you will always be made whole relative to the asset that you're holding and investing in.
0: One other difference that I wanted to mention about the ETF is that obviously also people cannot hold the bit 10 in a tax advantaged account or retirement account or anything like that. So I guess in that regard, that's that's another key difference between an ETF and, and the bit 10.
1: That's right. It's it's no different than holding any other uh, commodity in your own possession, right? It's like buying Bitcoin or buying Ether and you're holding it yourself. So there's no difference in, the, in, in our implementation of this bit 10 index versus any other commodity that you would hold on your own.
0: And how did this come about? Did you reach out to Bitwise or, you know, because this is kind of a really novel product, really, I think. Uh, so I was wondering what the backstory was.
1: Sure. This is part of a very explicit long-term strategy for Abra. And let me walk you through how this transpired. So we actually built a very similar product on our own with no third-party help almost a year ago. And once we dug into how a traditional index works in terms of rebalancing, setting policies for moving assets in and out, you know, dividends in the case of crypto forks, we just realized it was way too complex for ABR to manage because it's not our core competency. In addition, our strong desire is to not only release index products for cryptocurrencies, but for other asset classes. So, for example, I can give you exposure to equity mutual funds Using this collateralized contract model that I've been describing, and so we don't want to be in the business of managing all of those mutual funds, index funds, et cetera, et cetera. So we looked for a partner who had kind of a best of breed uh, platform, who was already doing crypto indices as the first product that we wanted to launch. And when we found Bitwise and and, and looked at how their you know indices were managed, it was very professional, very thorough. Uh, all above board, you know, great management team. And so I contacted Hunter, the CEO, laid out our strategy. They did a bunch of legal technical due diligence on their side. And we entered into a, a partnership several months ago and, um, you know, basically did this implementation together.
0: Nice. What's interesting is that this news came out roughly around the same time that we saw similar products, although they're different in certain key ways, from Circle and Coinbase. Circle this week announced collections, which allows you with one tap to buy, say, like privacy coins or this other collection they call platform coins, which are tokens from smart contract platforms. And then Coinbase last week announced the Coinbase Bundle, which allows you to buy a bunch of crypto assets at once. So how, how does the Bit10 differ from these other two products? And, and also, why do you think we're seeing so many of these kind of come out roughly at the same time?
1: Well, I think there's a big difference between investing in an index and investing in individual baskets of, of assets. The index has a bunch of other key features, right? One it rebalances, meaning that if you uh, change the weightings or the market caps of the underlying assets, or the market does, I should say, that the relative weightings of those assets within the index will change automatically. The consumer doesn't have to do anything. If there's a fork, if a new asset type like an EOS, for example, gets released and it needs to become part of the index. The consumer doesn't have to take action. That will happen automatically. And with the ABRA implementation of this kind of Bitcoin based collateralized asset, you get all of those benefits uh, without having to take any action whatsoever. My understanding as to what the other companies are doing is they basically make it super easy to basically buy a bunch of cryptos and then you're kind of on your own, as I understand it. And so that's that's great. I think there's value in that. And look, the more things that companies do in our space to provide uh, better and easier liquidity, it's better for the whole space. Uh, But this is a, a very explicit product meant to give people broad based investment exposure to the entire space without the consumer having to think about how to do any of those things that I mentioned once they've made their initial investment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These other products, after you buy them, I believe you can sell the individual assets within the the bundle or the collection that you buy. But obviously with Abra, it is a token and um, you don't you know, you it's rebalanced for you rather than you having to actively manage that. All right, so we're gonna discuss what else Opera is up to, but first a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Head over to blockdaemon.com/slash unconfirmed and come join
1: the decentralized revolution by launching your own blockchain node on a public or private network within minutes. Blockdaemon is the only multi-cloud platform that lets you connect to leading networks such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and most recently, Stellar and Aeon. Own your node and let us do all the heavy lifting for you by joining today, risk-free for 30 days at blockdaemon.com slash
0: unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Bill Barheight, CEO of Abra. You are one of the few companies that has built on Bitcoin as opposed to Ethereum. Why did you decide to build your smart contracts on Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So we built on Bitcoin for a few reasons. The, the whole concept of the synthetic asset in Abra is basically the idea that a consumer can turn their phone or any storage medium into its own bank and hold and transfer and transact in anything. It turns out that Bitcoin right now at least, is better suited for those type of assets and transactions or synthetic assets and and synthetic transactions than Ether. Let me explain. So in order to uh, use Bitcoin or any kind of multi-signature wallet as the basis for a synthetic asset, three things basically need to be true. The asset needs to have a very large market capitalization. So if lots of people are holding the asset, uh, it's not a problem. Right, so if gold is worth a trillion dollars, that makes it very easy for lots of people to hold small amounts of gold. Right. Second, the asset needs to be divisible into very tiny pieces. So if I want to hold a dollar worth of that Bit10 index coin, or a dollar worth of U.S. dollars, or a dollar worth of uh, our synthetic Ripple, it's 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 accomplishable inside the app very easily, or in a, in a way that's very retail consumer friendly. The third is the asset itself needs to be programmable in order to create the derivative contracts or the synthetic asset itself. And what I mean by that is, is that if I give you $100 worth of Bitcoin, I need to be able to create a program on the Bitcoin blockchain that effectively gives you more Bitcoin if the value of the the, the Bitcoin goes down versus dollars or takes away Bitcoin if the value of Bitcoin versus the dollar goes up. And, and the Bitcoin kind of scripting language, right, the P2SH uh, scripting language for multisig is actually perfect for that. It's exactly what it does. It doesn't do more, it doesn't do less. So in this way, Bitcoin is much more secure for ABRA than Ether is today. That may change over time, but for today that's certainly true.
0: Interesting. And when you say if so if that does change over time, then at that point what will you do? Will you switch over your entire back end or will you just have multiple options or
1: I think we would use different assets like Bitcoin and Ether for different types of contracts. So, you know, Bitcoin doesn't do any more than what we need. It's very simple, right? In, in, in its scripting, Ether, as a, t- as a close to Turing, complete programming environment allows for very sophisticated financial assets to be created. We're not really in the market for doing that level of sophistication yet. So I could see us trying to create synthetic versions of other types of contracts in the future where Ether might be better suited. Um, It also is better suited for other things like, uh, you know, we're we're taking some of our asset classes native. So we are adding native Ether support to Abra eventually, we're working on it now, but it won't be used for creating these synthetic assets. It'll be used for storing native ERC-20 tokens in the app, in the future native collectibles in the app, and, and then being able to do exchanges between those assets and other assets that are stored in the app. And then over time, you know, as um, as the market evolves with Abra, we'll see what happens.
0: Your company has pivoted in the last, is it year or so? And you were focused a little bit more previously on kind of an international, more like remittance market. And now you're doing more investment. Um, how has that affected your business and growth? And how many users do you have now?
1: Yeah, so good question. We started out with this idea of becoming like a global crypto bank. And we thought that the first kind of killer app for that was going to be remittances and payments and money transfer. It turned out that until you have lots of users, developing kind of a remittance model is is very complex. Uh, Acquiring users is very expensive. Building liquidity on a global basis in order to get money on and off the phone was very expensive. And we decided that given how users were using the app, meaning most of our users were using Abra, as a very simple way to buy, hold, send cryptocurrencies, we decided that it made more sense to double down on that as the first use case, meaning very simple kind of investing in using cryptocurrencies directly as opposed to remittances and and money transfer. So that shift in focus for us has been wildly successful, right? We've got hundreds of thousands of users now in the app. We've processed hundreds of millions of dollars in transaction volume. The numbers are going up very steadily. Um, And we're getting kind of a... Uh, Let's call it a non-trader retail consumer, as opposed to the exchanges who tend to get more of like a trading type of of, of user. And we think this is important because our focus on on that retail user is something that we don't really see anywhere else um, to this degree in in the cryptocurrency space.
0: Oh, wouldn't you say, I, I feel like those two other companies that I mentioned earlier, Coinbase and Circle, actually kind of target that demographic.
1: Um, you know, they don't really come up as much with our core retail users because um, they see them as more trading environments. I, I, I can't really speak to their product plans, but for sure, you know, our our customers take advantage of the fact that there's 30 assets in, inside the app. There's, you know, 50 fiat currencies. They can deposit Bitcoin and quickly, you know, hedge it in, in, in fiat uh, with a very simple kind of non-trader retail experience uh, that, they claim and we believe, you know, is is very unique to Abra. Now, a lot of our users end up using other services, especially in the past when they couldn't do things, uh, you know, that they can now with Abra, right? So they'll say, oh, thank God Abra's here because now I can do things with your app that I couldn't do with other services easily in the past.
0: And what is the typical demographic profile of your user?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. We have users from the ages of between 20 and 75, uh, we literally have retirees uh, using Abra. Um, we interview users who, you know, um, teens, you know, for example, who've put a small amount of money in crypto into the app. So so it's a global user base. We have users in like, I think, 100 countries now uh, and the, the the age range, male, female, it's literally the entire spectrum.
0: Interesting. You talked at Singularity about how ABRA could be used to do things like buy a dollar in Facebook stock. And you had mentioned earlier today about how you could use these kinds of smart contracts to even give people exposure to mutual funds. So is that something you're working on? And if if so, I'm assuming that would only offer price exposure, but not things like dividends.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So this is definitely something that we're looking very hard at. So the idea that you could offer, for example, US mutual fund exposure to an Asian investor is something that I think is a fantastic use case for, for Bitcoin, basically creating all kinds of synthetic assets, not just other cryptos, right? And this is something that I definitely want uh, you know, to have happen in the short term and is, is something we're looking very hard at. I think this is probably more interesting for us out, outside the US in the short term because there's so many investment products in the U S that we would like to make available to the international investor in Asia and Europe and South America, et cetera, et cetera. But we're looking at all asset types, right? Um, And so that your question around things like dividends, we're looking at, at, at a million different permutations of how to deal with things like that. Uh, But our intent is to do it correctly very much in the same way we launched the partnership with, bitwise as kind of a first uh, showcase for how to do this, we would hope to do similar things with um, other products uh, in different asset classes in the future.
0: And earlier when you were talking about your uh, user profiles, I I didn't catch, did you say what the geographic distribution is? Like what percent of your consumer base is international?
1: Yeah, so I would say about 40%, uh, if I remember correctly, is based outside the US. So when we first launched um, the investment product uh, fully with the 30 cryptocurrencies back in March, it was almost exclusively US. And then over the past several months, the international component of our user base uh, has been picking up. So a few weeks ago, we launched uh, native uh, SEPA wires for the European market. So people in the Eurozone could use their bank accounts to buy cryptos with Abra. We're launching, you know, international wires in more and more countries going forward. So my prediction is, is that the U.S. will become a smaller and smaller percentage of the overall base, even though the U.S. market itself is growing forever.
0: Yeah. And what you were saying before about this idea around marketing, you know, U.S. investments to people overseas, that's actually not the first time I've heard this uh, in the blockchain space. A few years ago, a company mentioned that they were doing something similar, but they were so small, I I didn't end up writing about them. But yeah, all of that, I could see being something a lot of people would be interested in. Um, Last thing I wanted to ask you about was at Singularity, you also talked about something you're building called instant on leasing, which had to do with like your your cell phone and stuff like that. Can you explain what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah, this is after um, the synthetic assets, which really are about you know, enabling investing. I think one of the other killer use cases for cryptocurrencies. And this has to do with um, what I call like, uh, you, you mentioned instant on leasing. Uh, other people call it Paygo financing or hardware as a service. Let me give you an example of what I mean. One of my favorite examples of how this would work is the solar market in Africa. There's this really fast growing market for people in Kenya and Tanzania in buying home solar kits that are connected to the internet via a SIM chip or a cell cell modem inside the solar lantern that allows them to make a monthly payment to use the solar lantern via their M-Pesa wallet, which is the mobile payment scheme in those countries. If they make the payment, the lantern functions correctly. uh, And if they don't, the lantern doesn't function because the lantern itself has connectivity to the internet using this cellular modem or IoT connectivity. They have a big challenge expanding those services outside of Africa because you know the, the the payment schemes that they would need to put in place in Indonesia and India and China to make all of this work at large scale just aren't there to every consumer for every consumer and so crypto is is optimized for this because let's say you ship a, a solar lantern to a consumer in rural Indonesia who is not interested in Bitcoin or dollars they only have rupees Right? So you could give them, uh, using a, a local Bitcoin kind of model, a very simple way to add rupees to a wallet, right? make a payment for the solar lantern, which could then show up in you know, Korea, in won, let's say if Samsung was selling these lanterns, and everything would work correctly using the synthetic currency or synthetic asset model that I described earlier. So now you have a global payment scheme that can deal effectively with um, a global payment model, but eliminate a lot of the settlement risk associated with dealing with cryptocurrencies because the synthetic asset model allows you to settle in fiat without having to use the banking system to settle. So you put all these pieces in place, you now have a, a global payment scheme that uses Bitcoin as a settlement rail, Uh, And then hopefully eventually as the uh, actual payment rail itself, when the second gen technologies like Lightning enable us to do small dollar transactions uh, directly on the blockchain as well.
0: Yeah, for people who are interested in learning more about this, I urge you to check out the recording from the Singularity Crypto Block, as they called it, um, which I released on Unchained. Bill did a really great talk and talked about this more in depth. And one other thing that you mentioned that I thought was super interesting was you said that this was one of the reasons that Foxconn invested in Abra. So um, I do see the potential there. Although actually one other thing I want to say about it is it does appear that then it's a little bit of a shift for you because it's more of a B2B play rather than B2C or a uh, consumer play. Is that correct?
1: Well, for us, it's, it's ultimately all about enabling, enabling consumer investing in payments. So, 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 the fact that you might be settling at Samsung is secondary to Abra because they don't they don't really need help. Like Samsung might be using a service from somebody like BitPay to actually receive the payments, but, you know, not having to understand that the consumer is using a product like Abra to actually make the payments um, and then automatically settling into their bank account using you know BitPay's ability to settle. And so it really is about us enabling more types of kind of crypto based banking services for the consumer over time. Just so happens in this case the payment would would go to a merchant.
0: Alright, well it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: My pleasure, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Galapali, Fractal Recording, Johnny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.